chapter 3, uh, we're going to go through uh, 9 through 22. And so starting in verse 9, it says, What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Um, now, um, Dwayne Garrett is uh, one of the uh, uh, scholars that I've, I've been using as I study. He, he wrote the, um, uh, one of the commentaries, the New American Commentary. And he says, he says this about the terminology uh, that God uses here. He says, it should be rendered, I've seen all the business God has given to people to afflict them. And he said, work is not simply a part of nature, but is an affliction from God. And if you look back at Genesis chapter 3, 17 through 19, it said this. To Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Uh, by the way, the, uh, the, the curse and the sin wasn't listening to your wife uh, or listening to one another. The problem was that he, he, listened, he listened and there was a deception that she had. He didn't help her. He just took what she said and he rolled with the deception and did not, uh, he was not a good leader in that. Um, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. All right? So uh, it's, it's not that work itself is a curse. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Work is a blessing. The, the thing is, there's a curse that's attached to it to where whatever we try to do, we see brokenness. Wherever we go, we see failure. And that's not, that in of itself is not God's curse. That's actually God's blessing for us to be able to see the brokenness of this world. Because if we look around and say, hey, everything's okay. It's like the book that I had uh, in high school psychology, uh, I'm Okay, You're Okay. Anybody else have to, have to read that book? It was a classic in psychology back then. And it's like, and just said, you know what, hey, just, as, just believe that you're okay and that everybody else is okay and you're going to be all right. Well, there's a huge problem with that. You're not okay, and neither am I. We're broken. And so it's, it's a veil over our face if we just try to fake ourselves out and fake others out just to be able to say, you know what, fake it till you make it. You're going to be okay. Just pretend like you have it, have it all together. Well, that doesn't help at all, does it? It doesn't help me just frustrates the heck out of me because I know I look in the mirror every day. And so, um, but, so God, God knows, though, and part of that brokenness is the things that we try to do to try to bring profit and, and try, to, try to hunt, to try to gather, to try to bring safety and security to our lives, it's very difficult. And God wants us to know that. He wants us to know, look, it's, this isn't the way that I originally designed it. And so uh, part of the business that God has given to us is to seek for meaning to given a, a divine design for eternity. It's, we're, we're to look past the brokenness. We're to, we're to be able to look. and I mean, if you look at something that's broken, if you see a mirror that's shattered on the ground, you're not supposed to look over that and say, wow, what a nice mirror. I think I could hang it right back up and use it. No, you're supposed to look and say, that thing's shattered. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to look and just to see Man, the mirror is shattered. And so we begin looking past that to say, all right, is there something that can put the pieces back together? 
Is there something that can bring real meaning to life? And of course, as we've looked, that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. It's this hedonism project that, uh, that the, the philosopher had in which he was trying everything and he could find fulfillment, fulfillment and peace in nothing until he focused on, on God. Um, verse 10 uh, here, uh, verse 11 um, he's, put, he's put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. You know, we're, we're very limited, and we, we can find out what doesn't work, but we cannot truly understand what does work, okay? Let me, let me, let me paint that for you one more time, all right? We can easily see that something shattered, but what we cannot do in ourselves is figure out what's going to put together the brokenness of this world. So we're left in this conundrum where we look around and we see that we're broken. Um, I, I mean, I, I, was raised, uh, I was raised to evangelize. I was raised to tell people about Jesus Christ. And one of the things that, that you have to do is get to people to a place that they believe that they're a sinner, that they believe that they sin. And yet, if you speak to people in this day and age, man, they, they may say, yeah, I sin. Or, but a lot of people, they say, well... <laughs> That's according to what you say is right or wrong. Who's to say that your standard is right instead of mine? And so then they would, they'd bow up against saying that they, they sin. But do you know what they, most people, most will not bow up against is that the world's broken. There is a brokenness, and we see it. And so what is, what is our mission? Our mission is to help people to see what does not work and to point to Jesus and then to trust in God to bring the true revelation of himself because it has to come from him. He has to be the one that gives that final aha moment. He's got to be the one that opens their eyes. In fact, you're, I want you to be very freed in here because I, I carried this weight for years. It's like I, I would look at my friends that had not come to faith in Christ and I, maybe I'd shared with them about Jesus. And they'd not come to Christ, they'd not surrendered. And I'm like, I'm a failure. I am an absolute failure. My friends are still lost. And, and it, you just get so discouraged by it. But you must know that you can't open anybody's eyes. All you can do is point to the one that can. And there's freedom there. I want, I want that weight to be lifted off of you if, you if you carry that today. The weight is not off of you to not share. Share Christ. But it's a whole new freedom that you have to know that you share and trust God to be the one that opens their eyes. He's the one that has to do it. He is too large and he's too powerful and too deep to be comprehended by us mere mortals. In fact, I mean, we can believe that there is a God without believing in the real God. Because what we do is we end up making up our own little version of what we think God is. And maybe we, we find a group of people up here, well, we kind of agree together of what a higher power must be. And that's how religions are formed. is people saying, well, I think God must be like this. Or I think God is like this. I've got, I've got the true concept, is what many of them would say. And so here's what to do. With your friends that are not followers of Christ, and, if, and you may be one of those friends that's in here today, and we're not going to hide it. Man, we, are, we want to see you come to faith in Jesus Christ. We want you to be not only our friends, we want you to be our family in Christ. Because It's not because we're the ones that have all the knowledge and we got it all together. It's because we don't have it all together. But God does. And that's the great thing of coming to faith in Christ. So what you do is you need to pray, you need to engage your friends, you need to declare Christ, you need to invite, and then pray some more. Just pray. Say, God, 
Open the eyes of my friend. Open the eyes of my dad. Open the eyes of my spouse. Open the eyes of my sibling. You know, open the eyes. Just keep going to God. Keep knocking. Uh, there's, there's just interesting, interesting points within the Bible that just point about God's sovereignty and that he's in charge and he's going to do all things. And yet God in his sovereignty says, you're a part of it. You better pray and you better share Christ. And so we're extremists. We want to just say, well, it's all up to us or it's all up, it's all up to God. And, it, and it's all under God's control. But he said, this is the way it's going to look. And so we just say, well, okay, I'll obey you. And part of that is prayer. Who is it that's in your life right now that, man, weekly, maybe hopefully daily, that, man, you're praying to God? Honestly, please, please don't just think, oh, this is part of Dave's manuscript. Think about this. Who in your life do you need to be praying for like that? And if you're already praying like that, man, awesome. And if you're not, it's okay. Just start today. Even right now while I'm, while I'm preaching, just pray for that friend. Just say, God, open their eyes. Open their eyes. I trust you with my friend. And that's part of the sovereignty too, trusting his sovereignty. Say, God, I, I trust you with my friend, but please open their eyes. Please open their hearts. This verse uh, says, God has put eternity in their hearts. And again, this is, this is the point, is, is there's something within us where we know it's like there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more to this life. We see past these times and seasons that Ecclesiastes has been talking about. We know that there's got to be something more, even if we don't know exactly what that is. Romans 1 talks about what's called natural revelation that people know. Uh, Romans 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all God ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What's the truth? The truth about God. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power divine, and divine nature, have been clearly perceived even since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they're without excuse. Here, what we're talking about here is, is not that God's revealed to every person enough to understand who Jesus is, but for everybody to know there is a God. There is a higher power. There is a creator. Even if they don't believe in the real creator. There's enough around us to not be an agnostic, to not be an atheist, but to believe that there is, there is something. And, that there, and, and God says, as a result of that, there is, there's, no, there's no excuse for anyone. Um, that phrase in there, he made everything beautiful in its time. Dwayne Garrett again, he said this. He said, beautiful here means appropriate. If we can accept life as it is, even the hard parts will be bearable. Yet there's a catch. We feel like aliens in the world of time and yearn to be part of eternity. We feel the need for ourselves and our work to be eternal and yet are grieved to be trapped in time. We also desire to understand our place in the universe against the backdrop of eternity, but we cannot find out about what God has done from beginning to end. That is, we're not able to discern any plan or pattern to all of this. God's purposes are outside our realm of control or investigation. So this is just a point of, of humility to be able to say, you know what, God, I just, I just want to kind of lay it all down and say, I don't have it together, and I can't figure it all, all out. Is there anything wrong with being, being scientific in your mind, being an explorer, being one who loves to learn? No. In fact, I mean, it's encouraged to be this, but to not get par paralysis of analysis 
to not get to a point where it says, if I don't understand everything about God, I'm not going to believe in God. Because nobody believes that about anything. Because nobody knows everything about anything. So, let's not be paralyzed by it. In, in fact, there's, let's, let's, let's take, take joy and in uh, the things that we know and the things that are revealed, not only about God, but about life itself. But let's also embrace the mystery that's in, that's in God and in His truth and in life itself. Um, that is an Eastern way, by the way. Let's move to verse 12. I perceive there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Talking about enjoying your life. Um, you know, this, this concept of, of joy and enjoyment has come up all over the place uh, in my life and in friendships. Um, I've, I've talked to pastors even outside of sojourn uh, just about this, very, about this very thing and about some who just said, you know what, I, I'm having trouble with, with this joy, having a, a lack of joy in my life. And, and see, it's, it's, we're talking about more than mere duty. Um, we must be dutiful. You know, we must be people that says that, that, that we're very committed and, and very conscientious and very serious about Jesus, about the mission God has that he's given to us. We must be. But if, but if we don't take pleasure in it, it's not going to be contagious. In fact, if, if we don't have pleasure in it, there's going to be something that will eat away even inside of us. It's vital that we have that fruit in our life, the fruit of joy in our life. And it ties in to contentment, a gratitude, an appreciation for what's in your backpack instead of just envying what's in somebody else's. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Um, D.A. Carson, he... he he uh, spoke to this, this section here. He says, The teacher recommends contentment. Do good does not have its common meaning. It's to practice a happy life. To, to seek happiness within God and within life. Under God, not outside of God. And, and that's what the difficulty is, is, is we have a tendency to, we're searching for happiness and meaning outside of God's rule and reign in our life. But what God is saying is when you come under my rule and reign, that's when true pleasure, true enjoyment is going to take place in your life. And we know life is hard. We know the world is broken. But in the midst of it, God gives us times of refreshing. Um, he wants us to be filled with joy till it overflows from us. To where, I mean, because there's going to be the funerals in your life. There's going to be the bankruptcies in your life. Um, whether it be a financial bankruptcy or a relational bankruptcy or a Facebook or email bankruptcy. You know, I mean, there's, it, in your life, there's just times in which you just, you, you finally you just, it's just broken too, too far. But yet, but God's saying, look, in the middle of this, there is such a place for joy. But the way that you find that is through gratitude, through looking to see, be able to say, say God, what, what are you doing? What are you doing around me? What are you doing to me? What are you doing? in me and to thank him for it I mean where are you today as far as joy even enjoyment of the life that God has given you the, the stage the season that you're in I mean you may be you may be on a peak you may be in the valley you may be at, at kind of a, a fuzzy middle place but is there joy it's 
If you don't have joy, why not? I mean, what's holding you back? What is it that you don't believe about God? What is it that you don't believe about Jesus' death and burial and resurrection that's stealing your joy? Because something is if you don't have joy. Um, this section in here, it talks about in enjoyment of the life that God's given you, enjoyment of the place that, that you're in, enjoyment of the season that you're in. This goes back to a huge filter that I look through in life. And I, I challenge you guys uh, to, to, take, to put these glasses on. Uh, as you view life, and, and uh, that's the parable of talents in Matthew 25, and it's, I'm not going to read it all to you, it's Matthew 25, 14 to 28, but man, they're, the, the lenses of the parable of talents, man, they, it applies in so many places in your life about understanding who you are, about understanding the season that you're in, and understanding what your destiny is, has so much to do with what we, what we study in, in the parable of talents, because in there, you've got You've got the, these folks that have been given one and, 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 and three and, and five talents, uh, just a few that have been given, and it's like, okay, what are you going to do with these talents? And they go, and one of them, the one with one, I mean, he, he's fearful, and he goes and just buries it and says, I'm so afraid, I'm not doing anything with it. I just don't want to lose it. You've got another that, that made some pretty good investments, and you've got another one that made tremendous investments, and just they, they capitalized upon their talents, and as a result, God came and, uh, well, excuse me, in the story, it's not, it's not God, but in the, the master comes back and he, he, he takes to task the first one that just buried the talents. And basically said, look, you had no faith in me, you had no faith in yourself, no faith in, in what I'd given you, and you just, you just buried it. You just, it became worthless to you. So as a result, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to take it away and I'm going to give it to somebody that will use the talents in the way that I've designed it. In our lives, we, we have a knapsack. Uh, we have a, sk- a bag, a sk- skill set of, of passion, desire, of, of spiritual gifts, if you're, if you're a Christian already, uh, in here, and, and experience. We have this whole big knapsack. And chances are you take a look at it and just say, well, okay. I see mine, and you, you look, look over and you see somebody else, and you're like, well, man, I, I think I would do much better if I had this talent here, if I could get this one from here, and, and two from this guy over here, and this here. I mean, I would just try to trade, trade my own for them. You know? It's a lack of gratitude. Uh, it's a lack of understanding that God has a plan for the skills that he's given you for the gifts that He's given you. Even the experience is good, bad, and ugly to be able to be used for effectiveness in the kingdom of God. And so what we need to do is just say, all right, God, help me to embrace the knapsack that I have. Help me, Lord, to even trust that the ugly stuff, that is my, in my experiences, that God, it's not that they're any prettier, they're still ugly, but God, you'll take, you'll take even my stupidity or even the things that, the horrible things people have done in my life, and God, you will use them. You will use them to, to take me forward and to progress your kingdom and to bring great glory to you. You take it, you say, God, this is my, this is my backpack. And I'm thankful for it. These are my skills. 
and I'm going to use them. These are the gifts that God's given me. This is the passion that God has given me. I'm going to bloom where I'm planted. And I'm telling you guys, if we, can, if we could just help every man, every woman, every student, every kid to get to a place where they just say, you know what, God, I trust that you're good enough to use what you've given me. I trust that, that if, if I do need something else, that you're going to be good enough to give it to me. But here's what I have. And I'm going to take it, and I'm going to, I'm going to run with it. I'm going to enjoy who you've made me to be. Now, part of that means you've got to put away some pride and arrogance. Of, of if you think, man, you're, you're the best thing since sliced bread. But for most of us, actually, it's actually going to be putting away a false humility that says, man, I'm just so broken, or I, I've, just got, I've got so many scars, I've got so many wounds, I've got so many things I'm wrestling with right now, I really can't be used. And that sounds like humility, but it's not. It's actually, it's actually as if I'm saying to God, it's like, God, you've, you've made a horrible mistake, and, and you need to do, do a control-alt-delete on me, and, and totally restart things with, within who I am because you can't use who I am right now. That's really what that is. And that's not any kind of a humility, is it? That's arrogance to say that before the Lord. But rather to be able to say, God, I trust you. You are so big that you can use a fool like me. And God smiles at that. And you know what? God likes fools because he gets a lot of glory when he uses people that are just average. And I'm telling you, man, I'm... I'm average of the Joes, you know. I, I'm just, I'm riding here with you guys. I'm no, I'm no super, superstar. Or, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm in the fight with you guys. Got my own struggles. Got my own uh, ugly stuff in my backpack as well. But it's important that we challenge one another and say, no, it is not okay. It is not okay to say that God can't work in me and through me. And so what, what will happen, though, is when we get a place of surrender there, it's, there's a peace that comes with that surrender, and then that opens the gates for joy. Do you hear me? Okay? Surrendering who you are and just saying, God, you're big enough to use me, that's when peace immediately comes, but it opens the gate up to joy and enjoyment to say, now, God, not only am I at peace with, with you using me and that, I'm, uh, that, that I can be used by you, Lord, but now you can be filled of joy. I know, I know there's some of you guys, the Lord's speaking to you there. and Just let him, let him continue to love you. And see, I, I think all these things, it's the, here's the big picture here, is that these are the things that lead to your destiny for your life, is how you deal with the backpack that, that you have how you deal with the things that God has given you. This is destiny. And these are the things that, that point you into faithfulness for your generation. And, and uh, just to define what a generation is biblically, it's not just the people that are around your age. It's the people that live in the time that you lived. So the ones who are younger than you, the people that are older than you, that's your generation. And an example of this is King David. 1 Kings 2, 10 through 12. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Okay? So this is the point in which David died. And, and you guys, I, most of y'all know the story of David. And uh, it's, it's this guy who, man, he, he had a, even God himself said he has a heart after me, a heart after God. 
And yet, some of the most ugly things, most sinful, wicked things were done by this dude. And yet, do you know what, what was ended up saying about him? Uh, do you know what, what his, the last things uh, that were said in the Bible about him? Acts 30, 13, 36 says, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Saw corruption just means his body rotted away, okay? Um, he served the purpose of God in his own generation. You know how he did that? He did that because it's like he, he understood the, the backpack that God had given him. He understood the grace of God that covered over all of his sins, So he surrendered to the sovereignty of God. Peace came to his life, and he was able to enjoy it. And and when he died, it was was able to be said that he was faithful to his generation. He served the purpose of God for his generation. Guys, listen to me. This is what I want for you. This is what I want for me. And some of y'all, man, you've got another 80 years ahead of you, you know, before these things are going to be said about you. For some of us... A couple of decades or three. Who knows how long it's going to be before God takes us home. But the point is, will we press forward? Will we, will we have an enjoyment of God and a faith in His sovereignty to where when, it comes, when, when the time comes in which our life is ended, that somebody could say He was faithful with His generation. He, he walked in His destiny because he had, he had faith in a sovereign God and He enjoyed what was given to him. Let's move forward. Verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already, that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. So, I mean, just a couple points in here is uh, God is sovereign. He takes counsel from no one. He will do what he will do. And I need to deal with that. And so do you. We need to come to a place that we just say, all right, God, you are going to do whatever you desire. And then you need to wrestle with whether you think that's a good thing or not. Now, honestly, I, I just go ahead and say, it's a good thing. <laughs> he's, he's God. And even if it wasn't good, he's still God. But it is good because he's a good God. So it's important for us to get to that place where we just say, all right, God, you're sovereign, and I recognize you're going to do whatever you want. But I, I love this section in verse 15. And, and, and listen, some of y'all that, man, it just, it, it just, there was a, a tender point in your heart and your mind just as we're talking about that, that trust of, of the Lord and what he can do, and can he really use me? Listen to this, this part in verse 15 where it says, God seeks what has been driven away. I mean, God, God is those... God is one who loves those who are used, those who are abused, those who are marginalized, those who are victimized. He is a rescuer of the oppressed. He is one that loves the weak, including you, including me. It's not that you have to be strong for God to use you. In fact, you've got to be weak. And so we can all just say, all right, if that's it. You, know, it's not, you, you don't have to know a certain amount of of things, uh, knowledge about him or the Bible for him to use you. And you don't have to be at a, at a certain level of strength or courage. You just have to say, you know what, God, I, I can't do it. And that's what faith is. And you trust him. He loves the weak. So God is sovereign, as we're talking about. Then, then what about injustice? Let's look at verse 16. 
Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. So God is a a judge. God is one that he will take care of rewarding every good thing, and he will punish every wicked thing. There's nothing that's going to slip through. There's no sin that, that you commit that will go unpunished or that will go uncondemned or that will go unjudged. Now, but here's, here's the beauty behind that. If you're not a Christian, first, the contrast, if you're not a Christian, all that will be upon your head when the day of judgment comes. If you're a Christian, you must know that when that time comes, and all those records, maybe they, they, in a way that God unseals them again to deal with them, it's just going to be painful, 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 painful. Who paid it in full? Jesus did on the cross. There is no more condemnation. There is no more judgment that's going to take place at the eternal, at the eternal level. And, but but getting get to the thing about injustice, one of the things that... that shows that God is a loving God is that He is a God who is just. Because He is one that is not going to allow any sin to go unpunished. He's not going to allow any person who's wicked that continues to go to press forward into wickedness to go unjudged in their life. If they, if they reject Christ, they, re, they reject the mercies of the Lord, and, and that may be at the eternal level, it can't even be here on earth, there's judgments that take place uh, as well. But He will bring it. There is no mercy without justice. And I'm uh, just so grateful that, that, that He brings this to us. And, and that's one of the things that can give you peace is as you think about the injustice that's taking, taking place upon you or even those that are around you or people around the world is to know, all right, God, you're going to take care of it. That either you're going to take care of, of, of the one who's... Uh, who's victimizing others, the, the evil person, the wicked person, you're going to take care of that person, or you're going to bring the same mercy and grace that you've given to me for all of my crap to every person. He will not let it go unpunished. It's either going to be all on that person or it's going to all be on Jesus. And, of course, he brings even a modicum of, of, uh, of justice here upon this earth that doesn't even compare to the, the eternality of justice. Verse 18, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast for all his vanity. All go to the same place. All are from dust and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. And, and so what's talking about here is, is that death is going to take place for both animals and for humans. It's, it's a humility, again, a humiliation to be able to say, look, you, you are mortal. You have a death just like the animals that you see. Uh, we have a tendency to think that, well, okay, other people die, but, I mean, I'm going to live, I'm gonna live and, and be strong and, I mean, we just have this Superman complex. At least I, I know I have all, all of my life. And it's, it's, been, uh, it's decreased some, which is good, because I'm not as reckless as I used to be. Um, but we just have this, 
most people just have this mindset. It's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to live... I'm going to live for a long, long time. I'm going to get my good 80, 90 years in. And God's just reminding once again, it's like, look, do you see the fragility of life in all these animals? You're just as fragile. You don't know. You don't know when it's going to come. Verse 20. So I saw there's nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Nothing better that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Now, let me just kind of summarize where we've been so far up up to this point, all right? Here is the biblical worldview that's being listed here, you know, by by the preacher, by the teacher. First of all, he's telling us over and over, God is in charge. And he's telling us God will do whatever he wants. And he's telling us that God has given you abilities and he's given you gifts. And... We are to enjoy our abilities and the mission that we have during our generation that we're alive. And and finally, that God is going to hold you accountable for this. And you can see this in in verse 17. You can see this in Matthew 25, the the talents, um, that God is going, He's going to, He's going to hold us accountable for these things. Um, Now, let's break some of those down just a little bit. And and I, I, I challenge you, ask yourself this, and also ask this within your groups this week, your discipleship groups, uh, your missional communities. Ask yourself these, these things. First of all, about sovereignty. Do you believe that God is completely sovereign and in charge and control? And if you do, does this encourage you? Because if it does, I mean, just weigh, weigh it out and wrestle it out. And uh, we're not, we're not, not going to pick up the stick and hit you if if you say that you're not encouraged by that, because there's days in which I'm not encouraged by it. There's days in which I want to give God some tips. And there's days, those are the same days that I need to get on my knees and just say, God, I'm so glad that you're God and I'm not, because I would mess things up. What about enjoying, enjoying life, though? Verse 12 and 13, it tells us that we, we should enjoy the life that God has given us. So here's the question. First of all, do you enjoy God? Do you enjoy Him? And I'm not, I'm not saying are you glad that He's around. Do you enjoy engaging God Himself? I mean, that's the, one of the greatest distinctions of Christianity and world religions is a personal relationship with God Himself. Do you enjoy God? Secondly, do you enjoy His people? Do you enjoy the people that that God's placed within you, as a church or as a discipleship group, do you enjoy one another? Does that, does that mean that, you know, you're going to be happy with everything somebody says or you're not going to mess with, with, with one another? You're not going to sin against one another? No. In fact, the, the further you press into discipleship and relationships, the more you get hurt, the more you get injured. But overall, do you, do you enjoy the people? Do you enjoy his mission? The mission God has for you, which includes, includes the, the precious lost people that God has uh, around you. Um, I mean, those, we have, these enjoy statements have, have been uh, a cornerstone to this church from the beginning days. Is to enjoy God, to enjoy his bride, to enjoy his mission. Where are you with that? What about your talent bag? 
your backpack? What, what is, first, what is in yours? Do you know? I mean, what are your talents? What are your strengths? What's your skill set, your natural abilities? But also, what are the spiritual gifts that God has given you, which is it's for, for, the, for the edification, the blessing of, of the Christians, the church? What, what's there? What, what's, what's in your bag as far as passion and, and desire? What's in your bag as far as experiences, good, bad, and, and even ugly? And, and are, you, are you working against your strengths? Are you working with your strengths? Because... And God, God has just laid it out in the Bible that we are to, we are to focus on what God has given us that, that's healthy and strong. And, and we're to grow in areas where we're weak. But man, focus, drive in to what God has given you. Don't envy somebody else's backpack. Just say, God, I'm grateful for what you've given me. And you, in, uh, talking with some friends the other day, it's like we're talking about, talking about a, 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 somebody they know that's, uh, it's like, well, you know, this person, this is a five-gift person, you know, and. And you may be a five-gift person. You may be a one-gift person. Don't be envious. Just say, thank you, God. You didn't have to give me anything. You certainly didn't have to give me yourself. So take what you have and run with it. What about your generation? What will it mean to be faithful to your generation? Here, it's, it's, we're a lot, not just the people around your age, but this day and age. I mean, as you think about what, how God has made you, have you dreamed to think, man, God, what is it that you, you could do in my life? And this is why being in community is vital, is, is you need to ask these questions to one another. Say, you know what, as you kind of look into my life, I mean, what do you think God could be up to? What do you think God could do in my life? And, man, pour it on. Dream. You don't have to be held accountable to, to do everything that somebody says or, or, or to pursue everything that's a dream, but, but, but allow yourself to think and to dream and, and have vision about what God can and might do in your life. But it's not only about your faithfulness to your generation. What, what do you think faithfulness in your generation will look like in your city? And what do you think faithfulness in your generation will look like for the world? Because we've got an obligation to love God, love our neighbors as ourselves. But Acts 1.8 tells us that Man, if we're really faithful in the Lord and filled with His Spirit, we, we don't just have an impact in our lifetime that affects our Jerusalem or our city, but it affects our region and, and, and maybe consider our, our nation. But, but in particular, it's going to affect the world. And you can't go everywhere, but maybe there's one place. Speaking with Wesley and Monica Skinner in Asia, East Asia just the other day uh, by Skype, and uh, there's a, there's, they're opening it up so during... Uh, a few days in December, I'll talk about it at the end, uh, looking for some folks to come over because it's just such a, it's such a fertile time there of, of sharing the gospel and people coming to faith in Christ. Where is it in the world? What will faithfulness look like? Now lastly, because God, um, you want to you praise God because not only does He assist us in being faithful to our generation, but we praise Him because He is faithful to the generations. Let me end with this. Psalm 100, 1 through 5. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Look at this. 
and his faithfulness to all generations. Do you see how just it all comes together, you guys? So we take a look at all of the, the crud. We take a look at all of the difficulties, the, the, um, the, the bad and the ugly that's in our knapsack, and it tends, it tends to weigh us down. And God's saying, look, I'm, I'm going to use that too. I'm going to use your strengths. I'm going to use my gifts. I will even use the most horrible things that have happened to you. I'll use it for my glory. I'll help you to be faithful in your generation But know this, I will be faithful to your generation just as I was to the one before. And even the ones that come after you, I'll be faithful. God, uh, help us to dream and dream big. Help us, Lord, to uh, 